Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Pretty Normal Podcast, a show that reimagines what society considers normal. Each week, I dive into fascinating topics and talk to new people about the things they're passionate about. This week, I got the chance to speak to Joshua Shea, the author of The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About, about his story and his experience with porn addiction. On the outside, Joshua Shea was a city councilor, as well as the founder of a popular regional magazine and film festival in the city of Auburn, Maine. But the addictions Joshua had been trying to hide for so long finally came to light when he was arrested for possession of child pornography in 2014. Joshua now devotes his time to trying to raise awareness about porn addiction through his books and his website, recoveringpornaddict.com. It's important to note that the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Psychiatric Disorders for Therapists did not include sexual addiction as a clinical diagnosis. However, not being included in the DSM-5 does not mean it doesn't exist. I wanted to talk to Joshua about his struggle with porn and alcohol and learn more about the events leading up to his high-profile arrest. Enjoy the full interview. You're listening to A Pretty Normal Podcast, a show that highlights the fascinating stories and thought-provoking moments that make up our lives. My name's Xavier Diaz, and I want to hear your story. So I'm here with Joshua Shea, you are the author of The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About, How I Let My Pornography Addiction Hurt People and Destroy Relationships. I'm really glad that I got in contact with you and you have a fascinating story from what I was reading and everything I was um, getting myself caught up on. Uh, Can you share your story with the listeners? Right now, I am trying to spread the word about pornography addiction. I believe that if we don't uh, pay attention to it and start to address it, that it could potentially be uh, the next great healthcare crisis in our country. Um, I came to this conclusion on a long journey, um, which, which, you know, brought me right through addiction. Um, like most addicts, whether it's pornography or food or drugs or whatever it is, um, I uh, had abuse when I was young at the hands of a babysitter who took care of me. Um, it was it was sexual, it was it was mental, and it was emotional. Um, so while I was being taken care of by her when I was four, five, six years old. Um, I was uh, I was developing my coping mechanisms and my survival skills, and really, what I developed was just kind of this mantra of say what you need to do to get through the day, do what you need to do to get through the day, just survive till tomorrow. And while that may be a workable plan for a five-year-old boy, it's really not for a twenty-five-year-old man or thirty-five-year-old man. Um, so anyway, um, you know, there there was this. Uh, you know, abuse that happened there. And I just kind of, you know, uh, forgot about it for lack of a better term. I was uh, out of her life and she was out of my life when I was around eight years old. And I kind of had a bit of a normal upbringing at that point. My parents were both elementary school teachers. They knew nothing about what happened at that house. Um, and I never told them. Um, when I was about 11, 12 years old, for the first time ever, I saw hardcore pornography. A cousin of mine had a couple of uh, Hustler or Penthouse magazines, and almost instantaneously, I knew that I had found something special. Uh, 
it's hard to explain. It, it was like uh, like a surge of energy. It was adrenaline. I know it was dopamine. Uh, I, I felt like I had found something that was going to help me get through life. I found something that immediately put me uh, away from the real world. That was it was this was to be my new coping mechanism. And the only other time that I've ever felt this was about three years later when I was probably 14 years old or so and I got drunk for the first time at a wedding and that was when I said well gee does everybody know about this alcohol this stuff is amazing this Mm -hmm. I feel great I'm ready to take on the world I think this is the way you're supposed to feel regularly you know you're not supposed to feel kind of sad and whatever however I feel you're supposed to feel like this so from that point forward 14 15 years old you know I found a store that would sell me beer I found a video store that would rent me adult videos and despite the fact that on the outside I I think that people in high school and as I started to get older saw a very normal person. They didn't realize that I was, you know, drinking nearly every day or that I was renting adult videos nearly every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I was popular in high school. I, I was a good student. Um, college and I never quite clicked, but that's because when I was 17, 18 years old, I got a job for the first time at a newspaper as a writer. I just kind of lucked my way into it. And instead of going off to college, College to learn four years how to get the job I had. I figured I'd just stay at the job that I had. Uh, I, I, over the next 10, 15 years, um, was a functional addict. Um, you know, when things got worse in my life, the alcohol and the pornography spiked, and when they were, you know, things were going better, um, didn't use them as much, but it was still a regular thing, at least a couple times a week, um, regardless of if, you know, when, when I was I married, I still did it, had kids still did it, bought a house, cars, got promotions, no matter what really happened in my life, when I needed to get away from whatever the stress of the day was, there was my pornography. Um, and the pornography definitely uh, was, was worse than the drinking, especially at that time in my life. Um, Around age 33, 34, uh, I decided, this was going back, uh, you know, 10, 11 years now, I decided that I was going to start a magazine where I lived. Um, Mm -hmm. I live in Auburn, Maine. Um, It's the second largest population center in Maine after Portland. And I figured if Portland could have one of these lifestyle magazines that talked about dining and the arts and entertainment, I could try to start one in my hometown. And despite the fact that we were in the Great Recession, uh, it was an overnight success. And my five-year business plan took only about four months to achieve, uh, which is which is a great problem to have, but it's still a problem. And it was one of those things I wasn't equipped to deal with. However, I'm able to hide the fact that I'm not a good businessman when there's a ton of money coming in because money solves those kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, However, about four years down the road, we're now into 2013, uh, early 2013, I start to notice that our revenues are plateauing and even starting to fall a little bit, yet our expenses are still going up. 
and I didn't know exactly what to do. So after a few months of not knowing what to do, after a little while and seeing that, gee, we we need to get something done within the next six to 12 months or else we're going to be in some real trouble. Um, I made the absolute horrible decision. And this is where the story you know, takes its takes its big turn is that I decided to pull myself off of my bipolar medication that I'd been taking since I was 20, 21 years old. And mm-hmm. and I thought that explained, you know, the stress and pressure of, of being younger was just that it was undiagnosed bipolar. Um, and I remember in my early 20s, uh, having somewhat romanticized my manic energy, having somewhat romanticized uh, the creativity that I had, because this was 15 years after I, I hadn't been on medication. So I decided to pull myself off of the meds thinking that I could save my business if I tapped into that creativity I used to have, if I tapped into that manic energy I used to have. Unfortunately, within, you know, probably a couple weeks of pulling myself off the pills, my drinking increased, you know, by 500%. I was drinking before I went to work. I had a liquid lunch. I made sure that all of our afternoon meetings were happy hour kind of meetings. And then at home, after the wife and kids went to bed, there I was, you know, hard with the uh, Red Bull and tequila. And then this, the same thing uh, simultaneously was happening with my porn addiction, where I had obviously by this point made the transition over to the internet, um, but no longer was just looking at videos on a screen good for me, I, good enough for me. Like any addiction, it has to escalate both mm-hmm. with uh, how much you use and what it is you use. So I made the jump over to chat rooms and I figured out um, how to get women to essentially take off their clothes for me. Um, It was, uh, you know, they they thought they were looking at me. They were actually were looking at a video of a much better looking younger guy. Um, And I would just manipulate them with the information that I learned and do research on them and then kind of bend them to my will. And with the fact that my business was falling apart, with the fact that my relationships with my family wasn't good at the time, uh, the alcohol was was really going bad. I had... um, Um, you know, only two, three hours of sleep at night at that point. I wasn't caring about my hygiene. And on top of this all, I started having these strange memories that went back to that house when I was a kid. And it was the first time any of those memories ever come up. So I had all this stuff happening at the same time. And it was extremely hard to deal with. Um, And then on the morning of March 20th, 2014, I saw two unmarked cars and a van drive up to my house. And, you know, I, if you've watched any cop shows from the seventies or eighties, you know exactly what unmarked cars look like. And uh, they pulled up to my house and I thought to myself, well, why are the cops here? Uh, Is somebody dead? Why did they send this many? This is kind of weird. And I got to the door and he had a a search warrant in his hand and I was able to make out enough of the words that I could tell why they were there. And he told me that uh, of the women that I talked to online, that they believed one of them was uh, underage. And I handed over, I started to do an interview with them, handed over my computer right then and there. um, And they gave me the evidence that proved that, yes, one of those women I talked to was actually a teenager. Uh, There was no doubt about it. Um, I, you know, at the time was so uh, ill feeling that I don't know that it truly mattered to me. Uh, I didn't stop to look at kids, but 
if she looked old enough, she looked old enough. So I just kept talking. So and, quick question, just yeah. one question. So were you going out into these chat rooms on the look for young girls or you would just talk to anyone and you didn't know their age that never came up or is that if something somebody, that you were consciously looking for? No, no. If somebody looked like a kid, I moved past them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't, uh, cause you know, here's the thing. I can't stand kids. I, I love my own, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel no attraction to kids. I don't like kids really. And what, uh, what I was looking for was somebody who kind of had an attitude of, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to show you my boobs. I'm not going to do this for you. What my, Mm -hmm. what I liked, what made me feel in control because my life was spinning out of control. What made me feel in control was to find a woman who would say she would do that and then spend two hours, you know, kind of quasi interviewing her with her, not realizing it. And on one part of my screen, you know, she was watching this video of this guy that I had on a loop and then I could do certain little things with to make it not look like a video. And on the other half of my screen is she gave me a piece of information. I was researching her, finding her Facebook, finding her Instagram. I mean, it was, it was catfishing. It was grooming. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, I was, it was, you know, people share a lot of information and being a a reporter, an investigative reporter, somebody who picks up on, on people very easily. You know, it was one of those things where um, I, took advantage of the skills I had and preyed upon these women. And Mm -hmm. I I, I just, you know, and I want to make it clear right up front here that uh, I don't hold anybody responsible except myself for this. I got to the point with my addiction where uh, consequences didn't really register with me. I got to the point where my sickened mind didn't think about what it was doing. As long as the person looked old enough, you know, I wanted somebody, I wanted everybody to be over 18, but if, as long as they looked at, I wasn't asking for IDs. Mm-hmm. And I don't hold anybody but myself responsible because I allowed myself to get to that point. I knew that I had mental health issues and mm-hmm. I thought that pulling myself off of my medication was a smart idea. And it was absolutely the stupidest idea I ever had. So I don't want this to sound like I ever minimize or rationalize uh, what I did. What I did was a horrible, heinous thing. Mm-hmm. I, ended up, I ended up serving two, uh, I ended up serving six uh, months in jail for it. Absolutely deserved uh, because I, I did it. And I never tried to tell anybody I didn't do it. Uh, but what I did between the time of being arrested and between the time of actually going and serving my time, I went to two different rehabs. I went to one for alcohol for 10 weeks. I went to one for sex and porn addiction for seven weeks. And I spent uh, hundreds, if not thousands of hours in intense one-on-one therapy. Um, I also, you know, being a a reporter type, researched anything I could about addiction, Mm -hmm. porn addiction especially, but there wasn't much out there at the time, which is why I wrote a book. Uh, I just... I, I knew that I needed to change as a person. So I spent those two years changing. And ironically, the guy who went to jail in early 2016 was the healthiest version of me I ever had been. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that I want to ask you. Um, first, it uh, I think it's an important part of your story also to let listeners know that you were on the city council at this point, correct? I actually had just left. I stopped serving. I was, uh, I was, I was kind of a local celebrity because my magazine blew up very fast. Um, about a year, year and a half after the magazine blew up, I started a film festival for the region thinking it would be a good tie in with the magazine, but it became its own other monster. 
and became one of the biggest uh, film festivals in northern New England, uh, which drew people from and attention from around the world. On top of that, my ego was kind of being blown out of proportion because of all these successes for the first time mm-hmm. in my life. And I decided, what does this area need? It needs more of me. So mm-hmm. I, I ran for the city council of my city of Auburn, and I served a two-year term. And thankfully, I ended the term in November 2013, a couple months before I got arrested. But the wow. day after I was arrested, the front page, former yeah. city councilor arrested for underage pornography. I can imagine this was extremely public in your area. And Maine is not a very big, uh, very popular state. So no, no, it's since we have only a couple news stations, you know, uh, and they were all at my house in their news vans that day. Uh, the newspapers were here. Uh, you know, I was after my wife bailed me out of jail. I went back to my office to collect a few things and to tell them that I wouldn't be there for a while. Mm -hmm. I figured, you know, maybe this would blow over a bit in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, horribly wrong about that. No but when I, I, I got there, I was only in, in the uh, sheriff's office for about 45 minutes. It really wasn't, uh, you know, a long drawn out thing. Uh, and my office was right around the corner, coincidentally. And when I got there, uh, one of the designers for the magazine said, what did you do? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he said, it's already all over Facebook. It's already all over the, the wire. Well, what happened was... The the moment that I was arrested, the state police, because of my kind of public stature, they decided to have a press release ready and sent it out as I was being arrested. So it had already been out in the uh, in the world for an hour. So the newspaper had already been over to the office to find out what had happened. And like I, when my wife drove me home, there was already a news van in front of our house. Oh so this this blew up. It didn't take more than an hour for this to blow up. Yeah, um, so you can't even tell, you can't even like let your family know about the nope. situation before they nope. find out through the public. That's that's really crazy. Well, what was what were things like when you're when you made that phone call to your wife saying that you had been arrested? Uh, I was in so much shock at the time. Even I mean, I, I was calm uh, because. I knew that this was my chance to get better almost immediately. I mean, if, when, when they showed up at the door, I was like, oh my God, this is, my life's about to change for the worse forever. Mm-hmm. But after talking with them for 30, 40 minutes, I kind of came to the conclusion that I don't know what's coming next, but it can't be bad. There's so much light in my life that's bad right now. It can't get worse. I mean, this is worse, but it can't get more worse. Um, and, uh, so I called her, the, the officer who arrested me, he let me sit in the front seat with him and he gave me my phone as we were going over to the uh, sheriff's office. And uh, I don't know if that's normal or I was just a model arrestee or whatever it is, but uh, I called my wife. She worked about an hour away at the time. And I said, listen, um, the police have just been at our house. I have, they have pointed out to me that I have talked to an underage girl online. Um, I can tell you all the details of it, but I, what I need you to do right now is go get $500 and meet me at the sheriff's office. So she just said, okay, I'm on my way. And that's amazing. (laughs) There's not a lot of wives that would do that. Well, no, no. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, and uh, about an hour later, you know, she, she got the money, she got there and uh, they did all the processing me they needed to do. And then they told me, you know, your wife is uh, outside in the car if you want to go see her. And then I went, I got in the car and I said, before you talk, before you talk, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to ask 
I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to defend. Uh, if you want to divorce, I get it. You can have the house. You can have the kids. You can have the cars. I'm in no position to say anything here. It can all be yours. I won't fight you on anything. And she looked at me. She just said, was it a little kid? And I said, no, no, it was a, it was a teenage girl. Um, and I didn't, you know, quite know it at the time. And she says, okay, well, you've been really sick lately and we've seen you be sick lately. So let's try to get through this and let's, let's see what we can do. And I think, I think that was also the fact, you know, we have, we had two kids at the time. My son was, uh, must've been eight at the time. And my daughter was 12 or 13. Um, her mama bear instincts kicked in and I think her just, uh, compassionate, you know, taking care of people instincts kicked in. Um, and you know, thank God for that. We obviously did go through a lot with the betrayal trauma and, you know, both, both having to do, we, she had to do just as much therapy as, as I did or or not as much, but, um, she also ended up gaining a ton of weight as at the end of my sickness and then as i started to go through the legal situation she kept gaining weight because it was very stressful it wasn't until i was at my second rehab that she went and got herself into a bariatric program uh, at the local hospital so she ended up having the gastric sleeve and she ended up losing you know over 100 pounds and that was part of her recovery because she you know they always say if you're around an addict the the people who are around an addict get sick too and they need recovery as well so she needed that you know just as much as I did and I, I infected the house thankfully the kids were much more resilient uh, than, than I, I thought they might be and today six years later um, you know they're not showing any major signs of problems or may, anything you know fallout from that so you know hopefully that keeps happening and that uh, I didn't I didn't screw them up with this situation but yeah for you know my, I just look at for instance my parents my parents went from being told you must be so proud your son is a city councilor you must be so proud of this magazine and oh we knew josh was destined for great things when you when he was little to oh my god did he really do it yeah and that's what they had to face in public for quite a while after that so i I made life awkward uncomfortable and scary for the people who were absolutely closest to me and and that's still one of the things that i feel the most shame about Mm -hmm. Well, do you think you would have gotten help if you didn't get arrested? Do you foresee a situation where you would have came forward and looked for help if you hadn't been arrested? You know, uh, honestly, I don't think so. I think that I would be dead now. Either I would have drunk drove into a house or something because it's I mean statistically the, the drinking and driving should have got me so much more than the porn should have got me um, as a matter of fact when I, I knew the DA quite well and uh, he said to me he said Josh I gotta tell you only one out of a hundred guys who do what you did online get caught you're yeah. just the one <laughs> and so and so you know it it, it was a uh, it was rare it was a long shot that it was the porn that was going to get me but i was getting into such a depressed place you know my my company would have gone out of business i don't know what would have happened then um i was you know starting to uh not think about using uh my bipolar meds but you know somebody had 
just a few days before I was I was nabbed, somebody started telling me about you know where I could pick up amphetamines to keep myself awake because I couldn't do that. So I don't know where things would have led, but I do know that if my parents and my wife had sat me down and they didn't really know about the porn addiction uh, or, or the level of the porn addiction at that point, but if my wife and parents and, and my my coworkers had sat me down and tried to do an intervention for alcohol or, or whatever, I would have laughed at them and left the room. I needed something like the police to come in to just bulldoze my entire life. Um, that that night, the night that I was arrested, or the day that I was arrested, later that night, I got a phone call from the uh, one of the three people who owned the magazine with me. Well, I ran it day to day. I was only uh, one fourth owner. Um, they called me and said that I was, they didn't know what was going to happen to the magazine, but I was fired. And that was the best news that I heard all day. I mean, that was a huge weight lifted off my shoulders right there because it meant I wasn't going to have to shepherd this thing through falling apart. Um, and, you know, it was it was one of these things where it really did. It leveled my life. And I don't know otherwise how I could have stopped drinking, how I could have stopped the porn, how I could have got the help that I would only be able to get in rehab, how I would start to build the bridges back with my family, how I would start to see a professional to figure out what these memories were I was having. I can't imagine all that coming together unless the law got involved. And mm -hmm. it's it's cheesy and, and trite to say, but it is like those officers were almost angels at the door. And I, I talked to the arresting officer a few years later, and he said, you know, I, I remember you. And when we were driving you to the station, I don't know if you remember, but I said to you, you're one of the calmest guys I've ever met and you said well I know that this in the long run is going to be a good thing and he said clearly in the long run it has been a good thing and hmm. you know uh, how, how anything could have resulted in a better outcome than the law I don't know hmm. well so you clearly had a lot of things going on between the abuse that you suffered at an early age the alcoholism mental health um, issues so the the final let's say the final consequence was being arrested for the, the chat rooms that you had with these underage girls. That's what ultimately everything came to. Well, I do want to say there was, it was only one because Just one. Okay. one of the, one of the things that I did was, and this is also important to point out to anybody who maybe is a porn addict out there and doing kind of the thing that I was doing. Um, I didn't even use these chat rooms for like sexual gratification. I used them because I felt out of control in my life. And, and if I, if I could get a if I could get a woman to bend to my will at the end of her doing her little sex performance, I would take a couple screen captures. Mm -hmm. And, and okay. they, they so, were trophies. They were my trophies. Mm -hmm. And the police, the police, they went through all of these when they seized my computer. And uh, that was the only one of anybody who was underage. Okay. So, so let's get to that behavior. Why is it that you think porn addiction is what led to that behavior and not ultimately, you know, the abuse that you suffered as a child, the alcoholism, the mental health issues? It's because all of it. It's all connected. So it is all of it, it but it's you do, all connected. Porn, porn addiction is what you mainly try and... Um, you know, right. Uh, and it, it probably has to do with some of the sexual inappropriateness that happened uh, at that babysitter's house when I was a kid. Um, I don't recall anything uh, majorly 
being done to me as far as sexual goes, but I did see things being done to other kids. I I was put in, you know, she did have uh, adult films uh, or R-rated films that were very sexual in nature playing on the TV all the time. You know, she brought me and my brother into a room once to look at a little girl's vagina and touch it so we could see how it was different than us. Um, you know, there was an incident with her you know, older daughter who was 19 or 20 who, you know, showed me her breasts at one time and let me touch them, which, mm-hmm. you know, I thought was the greatest thing in the world. So, you know, while I, I wasn't, you know, raped or anything or even molested, mm-hmm. I had all these weird sexual things happen at this place. And the, the thing that also played into that was that my parents were very conservative Christian types who I could watch Rambo all day long, but I mm-hmm. couldn't. If, they, if, if a girl had cleavage on TV, we changed the channel. So mm-hmm. I got these very confused mixed messages when I was a kid about this stuff. And I think that that played into the fact of why I went towards um, porn addiction. You know, why does somebody become a gambling addict? Why does somebody become a heroin addict? You know, it's one of those things they still they still don't know exactly why you're, you know, obviously you're exposed to it and you have access to it. But why it became a porn addiction, why I felt that way the first time I saw that porn magazine, I don't exactly know. So the diagnostic, the diagnostic statistical manual for psychiatric disorders, aka the the DSM five, which is the manual right. for psychology, they don't list porn addiction as an actual, um, I guess, clinical diagnosis. Right. And two of the reasons that they say this is because um, it's from lack of research and then lack of an agreed upon list of systemat- systematic behaviors. So what are some of the symptoms of a porn addict? How can you tell if someone's actually a porn addict? Okay, well, you've got three, and this is with, uh, you know, this is specific to porn addiction, but there are always three, uh, I guess, sections of addiction. There were the early warning signs, the ongoing signs, and the critical signs. Uh, Starting with the early warning signs, uh, with pornography, you've got somebody starting to lie about their use, keeping secrets, covering it up. Uh, If anybody questions them about it, they they get a little upset. They get a little angry. They're trying to hide it. Uh, They don't want to be confronted about it. And then even in the early warning signs, you start to see some actual sexual dysfunction with real world partners. And that can be even including just yourself, you know, erectile dysfunction, delayed ejaculations, uh, inability to even reach orgasm. Those are the early warning signs where a lot of people don't quite recognize they're becoming addicted and you know it's hard to see it in someone else ongoing signs is where other people may uh, pick up to it and where the actual addict starts to realize they have an addiction when you're talking about this section of addiction uh, this is the escalating amounts of time being spent on porn use Uh, a lot of addicts uh, report that they would lose hours and even days to looking at pornography and and, and not recognize that gee I've been sitting here for six hours looking at this these types of people, when they're in the ongoing stages, they uh, have an in- inability to form real lasting social bonds, uh, real intimacy within their romantic relationships. You also start to see depression, shame, isolation, um, and you also uh, 
uh, relationships that existed prior to the addiction taking over, those tend to start to fall apart. And they're they're ultimately, before they make us uh, move into the critical section of addiction, uh, they start to lose non, they start to lose interest in non-porn activities, work, school, hanging out with friends, exercise, whatever it is they did other than the porn, their mind becomes fixated on the porn and their day starts to become all about when they can get that fix of the porn. Now, mm-hmm. the critical part, which I would say that, you know, when I took myself off of my bipolar meds, that's when I really entered the critical phase. And that's when you see the viewing of more intense and really even bizarre content. Uh, you know, you go to someplace like a, a Pornhub and you'll see they've got, you know, a hundred genres, some of which yeah. just scare you. And you think, oh, my God, how can somebody be into this? Well, when everything else is already doing it for you, you need to hit that dopamine. You'll start to look at some of this stuff that Mm -hmm. sounds outrageous. Um, And then, you know, uh, one of the things that happens is people do make that transition over from looking at just videos or pictures into the uh, chat rooms or into the webcam type shows. And and even some of them start to meet people in real life and and develop actual intercourse addictions. This is uh, way people go, um, you start to see not only are you losing interest in school or work, but you're actually starting to see negative impacts in school or work because you're so into this addiction, so into this substance that, you know, your your performance in life is just starting to fall apart. So whether it's grades or how you're doing at work, uh, relations with the family, everything starts to fall apart. This is also when you start to make a lot of promises to, to yourself because you recognize that things aren't going well. You recognize that things are falling apart. So you start making uh, promises to yourself that you're going to use less or you're going to not do it this night or that night. And you find that uniformly you can't keep these promises to yourself. You know, mm-hmm. the person who's an average drinker can say, well, I'll only go out and I'll drink on Saturday. And they're able to do that. Mm-hmm. The, the person who's an alcoholic may say that they can never do it. Um, and then finally, you've got people who, you know, they actually get physical injuries from masturbation. Um, and and in the, in the uh, final act, you get the financial issues that can ruin people. You get legal issues, much like I had, which, you know, have to do with the illegal porn use. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's really it. It just it's it's a staircase going up and it escalates. And that that's really the case with all addictions. Um, and that's why you have to be on the lookout for it. So if you see somebody falling into these ongoing and critical signs, you know, you got to tell them that they need some help. So two parts, two questions. Um, you mentioned alcohol. Do you think someone can be a casual porn viewer and not be an addict the same way someone, you know, certain people can be? casual drinkers but not alcoholics in theory and this is not saying anything about the content of pornography itself because i i am uh anti-pornography at this point but realistically scientifically uh you know i can go to a casino and i can blow fifty dollars and then i leave and i don't care or i i can go to a casino and win fifty dollars and then i leave i don't care i don't have that gambling gene yet I've seen people and I know people who are, you know, absolutely horrible gamblers and have ruined their lives because of gambling. Um, they don't have a porn problem. It's one of these things where, yes, I think that you can you can attach, you know, short of some of these drugs like like uh, meth or heroin or fentanyl that will actually cause a, a chemical physical reaction beyond the brain chemistry in your body that can kill you. Um, 
I think that most of these addictions that people have, uh, I think most people do have the ability to control them. You know, I, I, I'm able to have one piece of cake. Somebody who's a food addict has to have the rest of the cake. Why? I don't know why that's their thing, but I can eat in moderation. Um, I can gamble in moderation, but I can't drink in moderation. I can't look at porn in moderation. You know, I've never been interested in playing video games uh, for the last 30 years. Uh, I played them when I was a kid, but you know, it's it's it, that doesn't hit me. These two things hit me. So if I can do those other things in moderation or not at all, I'm sure there are people who can look at porn uh, mm-hmm. in moderation and not develop a problem. That doesn't mean that looking at porn is good for you. Uh, but I think that, you know, physiologically, yes, people could look at porn and, and not get addicted. Mm-hmm. So you say you're anti-porn. Are you, do you advocate more for like, are you looking for a complete ban of porn? Like no more porn at all, or just nope. more awareness on, you know, no, this no, is a path that could, anybody could end up. Yeah. In? I, I'm, I'm trying to ban porn is like peeing into the wind. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's never going to happen because you can go back, you know, look at the jars and some of the pottery that the Egypt, ancient Egyptians made. There is hardcore pornography painted all over it. You can go back to you know, the Sumerians, you can, the caves they lived in, and they drew porn on the walls. You're not going to defeat pornography. What mm-hmm. we've had, what we've had happen in the last 25 years is the introduction of high-speed internet. And what that has done is that has gone from where I had to get on my bike after school and drive and ride my bike to a video shop to get an adult video. Um, now every 12 year old kid has the greatest little porn computer in their pocket called their phone and Mm -hmm. that's making a huge difference in the world Uh, there was a study done two years ago by an organization called the Barna Group and they interviewed a couple thousand uh, 18 to 30 year old men between the ages of 18 to 30 32 percent of men said they either have a problem with or believe that they are addicted to porn Mm -hmm. and that number is absolutely insane compared to the 30 to 45 year old or the 45 to 60 year old brackets it exploded with that 18 to 30 year old group because they're the first generation to truly grow up on the internet so no i'm not trying to ban porn what i'm trying to do is spread the message that we need to educate more about this pornography can have some very harmful effects um, on people i'm proof of that there were millions of people who are proof of that right now there's 21 million people in America who likely have a porn addiction, whether it's diagnosed or not. Um, it's 18% of all men, uh, you know, are in some phase of porn addiction. Uh, what I think that we need to do is accept the fact that this can be a bad thing. Um, we need to educate the way that we educate about drugs and about smoking, and and we need to teach kids to, you know, in a, in a very age-appropriate way to be aware of it. You know, we teach kids how to cross the street. We can teach them to stay away from you know seeing certain pictures or engaging in certain behavior that may lead to down that road and unfortunately in you know the where we find ourselves now in the uh you know third decade of the 20 21st century it being a parent now means having to talk to your kids about this stuff. Of course, if, yeah. if we're if we're not going to keep going down that same road, because if we keep going down the road we're going down, those guys who are thirty become forty and fifty and sixty, and by the year twenty fifty, you're looking at probably about half the men in America having a pornography problem, mm-hmm. and that is a messed up society. Yeah, and 
we definitely have to make it clear on what is a porn like what would be a problem with porn because i do think a lot of people might you know fall into a line where it's like uh one night i'd prefer to have i'd prefer to watch porn over you know having sexual relationships with my partner does that then mean that they have a problem because they prefer that over you know actual physical sex so i think we have to make it clear on what is how do you identify right. a porn addiction right and and Porn addiction is one of those things that is very individual to the person. Um, I really didn't have uh, uh, my sexual appetite change with my wife. It didn't go mm -hmm. up. It didn't go down. I didn't have an appetite for meeting somebody outside my marriage. It, it kind of stayed the same. A lot of people confuse uh porn addiction with uh, with sex and i think it's it's understandable because you know it, it involves naked people and mm. the the end of intercourse and the end of a session looking at pornography it's kind of the same result there's an orgasm mm. but that's really what it's a those are the only real similarities uh, if you don't want to have you know sex with your wife uh, or your girlfriend and you just want to look at some porn you know if that happens once a year no I don't think that's a problem if that's happening often I would ask what are you actually trying to escape from because you still want the thrill of the orgasm but mm -hmm. you're trying to stay away from the intimacy uh, that comes with with an actual human being so what is that about that that's the real problem because we've got to realize and this is true again across all addictions addictions are just symptoms of a bigger problem most of the time it's about trauma that's occurred an unresolved trauma uh, that's happened in life 67% of alcoholics for instance have unresolved trauma it's between 90 and 94% for sex and porn addicts so there the reason that people engage in in their addictions almost across the board is because there's some kind of unresolved trauma so if you're making the decision you don't want to be with your wife you don't want to be with your girlfriend uh why why if, if you know if you don't want to do that because you're exhausted and you're just going to lay on the tv and watch you know watch tv that's one thing if you're going to actually go to something like pornography or even if you went to a you know poker room online to play uh and you were doing that every night i'd ask, why are you gambling instead of going to bed with you with your with your uh, loved one there's something going on there and that's what needs to be explored not necessarily why it's porn why it's gambling but the mm -hmm. fact that your mind is craving something else mm -hmm. it, i'd be really curious to know like the percentage of people that use porn as sexual education so maybe they're not learning about it in school and their parents aren't talking about it so that when they do go into their first sexual encounters they imagine that it's going to be like porn but Porn is not very realistic in many senses. In many videos, it's not realistic. So I'd be curious to know, like, the percentage of people that actually use porn as sex addic uh, as sex education. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen specific numbers on that, but I do know that you know these days the average child is exposed to hardcore pornography for the first time at 11 years old. That's um, crazy. And I don't know when parents or schools are starting to have the sex talk these days. I know when I was in school, uh, my school had it. We were in sixth grade. I know my son; they had it when he was in fifth grade. So, you know, at by that point, statistically, almost all the kids had already seen porn. You know, and it's it's one of these things where, you know, can it be instructive? I, I, I guess so. Uh, but I also don't think that 
the average 14 or 15 year old is is stupid enough to think that that's what porn is like. I mean, I don't think any pizza guys or tennis instructors <laughs> get, get into that line well, of work because they saw the movies. You know, yeah. I, I don't think that's why they do it. So that, that's one of the things that I actually also I try to talk about with people is that, you know, we, we try to fight pornography or we try to there are all these stereotypes about pornography. And I think most of them are stupid because I, I don't think that they're true. I don't mm-hmm. think that people are necessarily learning about sex because of pornography or that's where, where they go to um, to learn about pornography. Um, and they're getting a, a twisted message because you know, it, porn is just twisted. I think the average person can absolutely recognize that. It's 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 mm-hmm. much like the, the argument people make. Well, the people who work in porn are all depressed and, and all have rotten lives um, and they're, they're doing it because they're addicted to drugs. And mm-hmm. the fact is there's a lot of them who aren't and have gone on record saying they're not. And there are a lot of them who are. But that's not stopping anybody from using. Why? Because walk into a Buffalo Wild Wings or an Applebee's, you're going to find people in the in the kitchen who are using drugs, who mm-hmm. are depressed, who had rotten lives. You know, it, the porn industry doesn't have this this uh, hold mm-hmm. on being depressed in the workplace. It's yeah. all it's all over the world. So these kinds of arguments that we've been making for decades about why you shouldn't look at porn or how porn is used and will warp you, um, I don't I don't think they're they're I don't think most of them actually hold a lot of water. Um, I think that the problem is that for a you know certain uh, piece of the population, they want to or they need to uh, use pornography to escape like I did. And uh, it's easier than ever to get at it. You know, w- women are one of the fastest growing uh, segments of porn addicts because in the past, you know, they they wouldn't go and buy the magazines. They wouldn't go and rent the videos. But now that they can look at porn on their phone, you know, mm-hmm. you see women uh, not to the, you know, uh, only about a quarter to a third as much as men, but women are starting to become porn addicts as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, it's, it, it's this new world we live in that we have mm-hmm. to adjust to. Yeah, what I'd be worried mostly about with kids and the porn thing is them learning the violent behaviors from porn and even some of the behaviors that you were describing of, you know, wanting power over women and wanting that control. And then, you know, there is very violent porn where the category I'm pretty sure is called like hardcore or violent porn or whatever. And yeah, so learning those behaviors and then going into their first sexual encounters and thinking, okay, you know, I can automatically slap this girl because in the porn that I watched, they enjoyed it when they got slapped. So, you know, that's what I'm more worried about. Yeah, and, and, and again, there, like you said with the DSM, more study needs to be done about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, I would think most women would turn around and say, why did you just hit me? Don't do that. I don't, I don't, I don't like <laughs> but that. But young, you know, impressionable teenagers. Well, young, impressionable no, teenage boys know. may not know better, but they're going to find out real fast that, you know, it's, it's something like only one out of five uh, uh, guys ever actually gets in a three-way. Only mm-hmm. like one out of eight guys ever actually has anal sex. You, mm-hmm. look, at, you look at porn and you think it's, it's, it's every single it's one time. because that's the mm-hmm. way it is there. I think that people adjust to real life fast enough and mm-hmm. again i think that i think that we sometimes get conflated in some of these arguments about what do what does the non-addict who is exposed to porn what, what yeah it's not a good thing that's why i'm anti-porn it also it always objectifies there's no reason to watch mm-hmm. porn other than objectification so mm-hmm. i'm not for mm-hmm. it but i think that you know 
80% of men under the age of 30 look at pornography at least once a month. I remember back when I was 20, 25, and all of these different congressmen and all of these different psychologists were all screaming bloody murder that the video games were going to make my generation and the generation that was coming before me be the Man, most violent, violent people mm. on earth. And then, and you go back to you know my parents' generation, and oh my God, Elvis Presley and the Beatles and you know Led Zeppelin were going to make these kids a bunch of sex crazed drug addicts people and I, I think we're having that kind of hysteria a little bit with porn now and what we have to do is say no you know what most of these people exposed to porn are gonna grow up just fine mm-hmm. uh, if, if, if if you know if the girl has to turn around and say hey there's no way you're doing that to me that's what will happen and that's how they'll learn and that's how we learn about everything in life uh, these aren't necessarily the people who are going to end up as addicts we have to make sure that there's the education out there that these that they grow up with much like we grow up with education now about smoking or drinking or drugs most of us Mm -hmm. don't use hard drugs you know a lot a lot of people will experiment once or twice uh you know almost every almost all of us are told you know as kids don't smoke and almost all of us try a cigarette somewhere along the way but we don't end up as smokers because we were taught not to be smokers Mm -hmm. and i think that if we can teach our kids not to be avid porn users uh, and, and to be careful of pornography, it'll end up the same. You're always going to have some addicts. You're always going to have people who recreationally use, but I think that we can have an impact on these scary statistics if we begin teaching our kids early on and having age-appropriate conversations that they, they really need to be careful and, and shouldn't necessarily use this stuff. Yes, I agree. Um, so I want to get to Part of what makes your story so fascinating is that you went through all this and you were able to bounce back and you now are an author and you, um, I know, ghostwrite for some clients as well. A lot of people wouldn't be able to come back from, you know, talking to an underage girl online, former city council member, like all of the press and all of that. How did you get your reputation back? How did you get your trust back? Oh, I don't have it back. I don't have it back at all. I I can't. Uh, I, I can. I still choose for the most part not to go out uh, to restaurants in my town because I knew every restaurant owner from running my magazine. I don't go to local festivals. I, I don't get involved in the community. Uh, because mm-hmm. Number one, because I just have anxiety about it. Number two, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, there, there was definitely a shunning. And I don't think the shunning had just to do with the offense. Uh, I think it also had to do with the fact that people felt betrayed, that I presented myself as this pillar of the community, local celebrity, all around good guy, you know, wife, kids, uh, all these uh, local endeavors. And it turned out behind closed doors, I was, you know, an alcoholic and and a porn addict and Mm -hmm. someone that, you know, they, they would you know, want to have a 10 foot pole away from them. And there are some who have reached out to me and I've reached out to some as well. And we have some uh, casual uh, acquaintances, my friends who were my friends, even before I started the magazine, they are still my friends now. They really know who I am. Uh, 
but I've reached out to people and been completely ignored. You know, I wrote letters to half a dozen people uh, when I was in jail apologizing and not a single one of them ever got back to me. So I didn't build back the reputation I had and I never will. Um, and and nor, nor do I really want to have that life again because that life wasn't a healthy one. Uh, what I do now is I work from home for myself. As you mentioned, I'm a ghost writer. Um, I work for a lot of business clients writing their blogs, writing books for them, writing articles for them. And uh, then when I'm not doing that, I'm doing this kind of stuff, which is trying to educate. I do a lot of these kinds of shows. I go to libraries. I go to mm. churches. I give presentations. I did have that. Uh, I did have that first book that came out last year, uh, The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About. But I also uh, have a new book coming out next month, which is geared towards the partners of porn addicts because they feel a ton of betrayal when it's discovered that their boyfriend or their husband has has done this. So I, I try to spend a lot of my life educating now and just using my story to say, you know, number one, there's no such thing as a stereotype porn addict. I've met men, I've met women, rich, poor, smart, dumb, every nationality you can imagine. There is no stereotypical porn addict. We, we think it's this 19-year-old guy who's never kissed a girl in real life living in his mom's basement. And yeah, they exist, but that's not the only porn addict out there. It's every, anybody can mm -hmm. be one. And I also try to let people know that, uh, you know, who are in porn addiction, that for 99.8% of my porn addiction, I was in that ongoing phase. I never would have gone into chat rooms. You know, I, I didn't physically cheat on my wife, but I think that's a version of cheating on my wife yeah, doing for that. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Emotionally and cheating for absolutely, sure. absolutely, and uh, unfortunately, um, you know, I, I I did that, um, and it kills me that I did that, but it it kills me even more that I engaged an underage girl because I would have told you uh, I could never have done either of those things. And I did. And if I can get there, anybody can get there. Somebody who has a porn addiction now listening to this story may be thinking, yeah, he's not me. I, I, that's never going to be me. Well, mm -hmm. it, it was more than 20 years before I ended up there. So, you know, if somebody has a porn addiction, they should talk to a therapist even once. Just judge where you're at. Mm -hmm. Figure it out. Because, you know, addiction is not something to mess around with, no matter what kind of addiction you have. And, yeah. and I am proof that you can get through it. I've been lucky. My wife has been on my side. My family has been on my side. I did have the resources where I could go to a couple of decent rehabs, but anybody can get through recovery and anybody can get to the other side. And I, I'm proof of that. And I try to let people know it's possible. Hey, yeah. And everybody should go to therapy. Nothing wrong with therapy. So greatest thing in the world. You've got somebody who is independent of your life, but who is still rooting for you. Yeah. And, and we, we all need that person in our life. For sure. Where can people get more information about you if they want to um, learn more? Yeah, all you need to do is head over to my website. It's recoveringpornaddict.com. Uh, I talk a lot about my recovery. I tell stories from when I was an addict. There's a resources page. If you think you're an addict and you're looking for some help that you can uh, look into there, there are links to my uh, books if you want to purchase them. You know, it, it's a nice one-stop shop for everything porn addiction. So again, it's, it's recoveringpornaddict.com. Um, it's incredible to me that you were able to get that domain name. You were able to buy that and that nobody else had well, that before you. Because here's the thing. My, my first book is called The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About. Why mm -hmm. is it The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About? Because nobody will talk about pornography, despite the fact that almost everybody, especially men, look at it. Um, 
they won't talk about it. Everybody pretends it's someone else or it's the butt of jokes. Mm -hmm. And until we're able to talk about pornography, how are we going to be able to talk about pornography addiction? You know, there's un, un, unfortunately it's it's not hard to get a good domain name uh, when it comes to pornography addiction because there just isn't enough people out there uh, dealing with it. Hey, well, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for coming on the show, Joshua Shea, the author of The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About: How I Let Pornography Addiction Hurt People and Destroy Relationships. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your story with me. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you to our guest, Joshua Shea, the author of The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story with me. I know it's a difficult thing to speak about, but maybe watching porn has become so normal in our society and we should just step back and look further at the long-term implications. Thank you to everyone who listened and who has supported the show. I do my best to bring you interesting topics every week and to speak with people who truly care about what they do. I put this out for free with no sponsorships and all I ask is that you please leave a review and tell your friends so that more people can find the show. Follow on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter, and remember to subscribe so you're alerted. My name's Xavier Diaz, and this was A Pretty Normal Podcast.